0: Ian Bremmer is uh, with us now. He's the president and founder of the Eurasia Group, leading global political risk research and consulting firm. Uh, The uh, Economist says he's a rising guru uh, in the field of political risk, and we're glad to have him here. And Ian, I have to tell you, I'm I'm a fan of Mike Lee, and um, uh, Mike Lee was against the president when he was running, and then he was for him after he did a few things. Yesterday, he came out and said it was a horrible briefing and uh, that no president should have just war powers unlimited. And he's being branded today as as anti-Trump. No, it's a thinking human being. I can be for some things and against other things. And I appreciate that about you coming out yesterday and saying, I don't I'm not a Trump supporter, but good job on this Iran thing.
1: Thank you. I think that that would be a fairly sensible position to be able to take but as you know and as you just said it's uh, it's becoming more challenging I was heartened that actually the the interview that I did on CNN um, that was you know sort of as all this was coming down the pike on Monday morning um, was then picked up and promoted and talked about on Fox News. And I, it's, it's just so rare that that actually happens in a sensible way. Yeah. Um, because, because there's just so much of two completely separate countries and two completely separate bubbles. Um, In digesting different information and news and deciding that they have a team. And if you're not on the team, it doesn't really matter whether you do something that's smart uh, or good. You know, I mean, like, would I have supported Obama if he had had the same, uh, if he had killed um, Soleimani and the Iranians had responded with nothing and let's please talk? Of course I would have. It had nothing to do with who the president is. Right,
0: right. Good for you. you It is shocking that I have to thank you for that, but... uh... Uh, let me point out that <laughs> you're a thinking human being still, and those are rare. Um, so looking at the report that was released on Monday from your group, um, you're looking at the top risks for 2020. Do, do, do you put Iran in the top risk at all?
1: Uh, we, we put it, uh, we had a broad risk about uh, what we call Shia crescendo uh, of, of challenges, uh, to stability in both uh, Syria, Iraq, and Iran as risk number eight towards the bottom of the list. But Iran itself was uh, considered a red herring. Uh, that uh, actually it was going to be talked up a lot, people going to say we're going to war, and we didn't buy any of it. And uh, We got a lot of pushback. I changed my New Year's resolution um, as a consequence to uh, just trying to convince people that World War III is not imminent. Um, <laughs> and, uh, You know, here we are. It was crazy. I mean, look, there's no question Iran is still a very serious uh, adversary of the United States in the region. That's not that it didn't change overnight. Um, But we have now established uh, a real deterrent. They have now backed down. And there is a window of opportunity for negotiations. I mean, so much so that the likelihood of negotiations uh, being pursued between the U.S. and Iran directly this year in my view, are greater than a resumption of military conflict directly between the two sides. And I think that's quite something to say.
0: So you say the number one risk for 2020 in the U.S. is who governs the U.S., uh, quoting in 2020, U.S. institutions will be tested as never before and November. Election will produce a result many will see as illegitimate. If Trump wins am- amid credible charges of irregularities, the result will be contested. If he loses, particularly if the vote is close, it will be the same. Either scenario would create months of lawsuits in a political vacuum, but Unlike the contested Bush Gore twenty uh, or two thousand election, the loser is unlikely to accept a court decided outcome as legitimate. That's frightening.
1: You know, it's it's not the end of democracy. It's not like the United States is about to become Hungary or Turkey. Uh, it's not like our institutions are going to break. But I do think that we're going mean, to. the the equivalent is Brexit, right? And and not the not the. Brexit reality that's coming at the end of January, but rather what happened after they voted, which is that the people that lost said, no, we want another vote. This wasn't acceptable. You didn't tell us what this was all about. This was illegitimate. And so for three years, you had the Brits tearing each other up at the exception, at the expense of getting any legislation done, of actually governing, of actually leading. Um, And I I fear that we're entering a period like that in the United States. Uh, Again, the U.K. institutions are still there. Uh, The royals took a beating over the last few days. But leaving that aside, the institutions are still there. Uh, They're still a democracy. They still function. But, my God, they they showed themselves being completely incapable of governing for a period of time. And I think that coming out of the 2020 elections, we're likely to have that kind of a broken election process.
0: But that wasn't Uh, – Brexit wasn't broken because there was – a big scandal of uh possible rigging of an election one way or another what they were saying was uh well we're we're not going to we're just not going to do that because uh uh you know that's just not the right thing to do they weren't listening to the people um and and that was the real problem in brexit if if there is a scandal that goes along with this in one way or another that's different than the brexit thing isn't it Yes,
1: yes. Certainly how we get there is completely different. Yeah, I was just okay. talking about what it would feel like oh, in the okay. United States, so we weren't talking about revolution. you know. Um, no, how we get there in the United States is we have an impeachment. Um, so the president has been impeached. He will be acquitted, um, and he will be acquitted despite having, in my view, um, ha- having committed crimes, abusing power, um, to swing the election in his favor. So impeachment will be broken as um, a restraint
0: on the president as he seeks reelection this year. So, Ian, let me ask you this: Um, We disagree on on the the crime thing. Um, I think this is a I I think this there are crimes that were committed, um, but not necessarily by the president. But if he did commit them, I want to know them. I want to hear all of the evidence. I want it fair. Uh, And I want it out in the open. And if he did, he's out. Or if anybody else did, um, do you think that we live in a world that uh, that Washington will give us a fair trial and call everyone to the witness stand? Oh, no. No, 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 of course not. Because, I mean, again, you
1: know, the Democrats, this is a party line. Right. The vote was a party line vote. And uh, in the Senate, the same thing's going to happen with the Republicans. I mean, so there's no possibility that impeachment could proceed in the way that our founding fathers had intended it to. But
0: doesn't and that impeachment hurt? is clearly broken as a process. Right. And doesn't this this breakdown, I think, is happening in Washington I'm not sure that it is happening as much as it in in the middle of America um, and the non-political America. I'm not sure that it's happening as strong as it is on TV and in Washington. I think both Democrats and Republicans see this entire thing as this, but neither side is being right here.
1: Uh, again, I, I think that the uh, sclerotic partisanship. The capture of our political process by big money and special interests on both sides um, has led to an awful lot of angry people. Yeah. A lot of Americans that feel that the system is broken, that it's disenfranchised, that it's rigged. And, and, you know, that that is about Washington. It is about the political system. But, you know, there was a story last year that one piece of data that, I mean, I think articulated this for me that had nothing to do with Washington. But, my God, it feels the same way for everyone, which is, uh, you know, around this uh, – Varsity Blues scandal with all the parents, the wealthy Mm -hmm. parents, buying their way into universities. So it turned out that last year in Greenwich, Connecticut, 50% of the high schoolers taking the SAT, 50% of them had um, notes from psychologists allowing them to take the test unmonitored over two days as opposed to four hours. Oh my gosh. And I mean, so you talk about the average American. Right? The average American looks at that and they say, Yep, exactly. That's the problem. I knew it, I can't do a damn thing. I mean I'm powerless. These people are screwing me. And uh and so is that Washington? Well Washington is complicit, but it's more than just Washington.
0: You yeah. can't say it's just Washington the media. That's not right. I agree. That's not fair. Um let's talk a little bit about uh China. Uh what's coming our way with China? Because China is not Iraq. I mean, we're not we're not going to be able to we're not going to be able to uh, do anything with China and have them react the same way. But they seem to really be hurting by these uh, sanctions. What's coming our way?
1: Well, I like the way you put that, because, you know, I mean, Trump, his two of his biggest foreign policy wins have been the same basic strategy. They've been what he just did with Iran and then what he did with Mexico when he said, I'm going to destroy your economy. Literally, your head's going to spin if you don't actually tighten up the borders. In both cases, Trump's like this guy at the poker table with a massive stack of chips in front of him. It doesn't really matter if he's holding a 2-9 or a pocket aces. He just put all of his chips in, and you're going to fold, right? right? But China is not going to fold. Right. China's ability to say no to the United States is actually quite robust. And so we are going to get this deal signed. On January 15th, this phase one trade deal, the Chinese are sending Lu He uh, to Washington, D.C., the lead trade negotiator. And it'll get signed, and the markets will be pleased, and tariffs, some tariffs will be reduced as a consequence. But that's as far as it goes, in my view, Glenn. Uh, This year, we're going to have U.S.-China relations uh, deteriorate on a host of fronts. We've got this woman from Huawei that we haven't been talking about for months, but she's about to go through her extradition hearing in Canada in just a couple weeks' time, the week after uh... the phase one deal is signed. That's much more meaningful for the Chinese uh, than the phase one deal. If you talk to their leaders, you got Taiwanese elections this weekend. Going to move in a more nationalist direction on the back of their solidarity with the demonstrators in Hong Kong. Hong Kong, uh, the Chinese just appointed um, a uh, a new liaison uh, to manage the region, much more hardline and senior than the one they had previously appointed. That's clearly not moving in any good direction. You've got the Uyghurs. Um, the ethnic minority, Muslim minority, 1.5 million of them in re-education camps and forced labor inside China and Congress bipartisan, believe it or not, one of the few things that they agree on in Congress right now is we need a hard-aligned policy on China and Trump signed it, even though he didn't really want to because he thought it might screw up his trade deal. So, I mean, I think on all of these different issues, the U.S.-China relationship, the world's two largest economies in the world, are actually heading towards more confrontation this
0: year and do you see that becoming uh, um, a cold war kind of scenario or i mean you know if if hong kong falls taiwan is next and do we just let that happen or is it a cold war or a hot war possibility that is on the horizon in the years to come
1: we're not going to intervene in hong kong uh, at all and i think we're still very far from a military confrontation Over Taiwan or over the South China Sea, for example, where we all have a lot of military assets and territories contested. But there is a Cold War that's already here when we talk about technology Uh, and and, and even the language that Xi Jinping uses this idea of a long march that they are uh, now on in uh, building AI supremacy by 2030. The Chinese have decided to decouple their technology systems, their algorithms, their big data, their cloud from that of the United States. And, you know, if you listen to Bill Gates or Steve Pinker or any of the people that are more optimistic about the future of the world, the reason they give you for that optimism fundamentally is globalization. It's because ideas and people and goods and services have moved faster and faster across Mm -hmm. borders over the last generations, uh, really post-World War II, right? And suddenly... We're taking a very significant step in the other direction. For the first time, really, in your and my lifetimes, we're seeing that happen, um, where um, the, the, the future of the global economy is being divided into two. A U.S. sphere and a Chinese sphere. Um, and, uh, and that clearly that does have elements of real Cold War because in, in trade, we can fight with the Chinese. But ultimately, we do want to trade more with them. They want to trade more with us. They want to buy more treasuries. We want their economy to succeed because it's good for us. Mm-hmm. When we decouple our tech systems from each other, we want their tech system to fail. It becomes a security-type competition between the two. And so, for me, when I think about Cold Wars, when two major powers literally are, are pushing for the collapse of the other, yeah. the collapse of the other. That, and, and I think that's the definition. I think that's where we now are in technology. We weren't there a year ago. We were heading in that direction, but we're there now.
0: Ian Bremmer, political scientist, author of "Us Versus Them: The Failure of Globalism" uh, and his top risks for 2020. It's a fascinating uh, read. You can uh, you can find it at ianbremmer.com. dot com. You can also follow him at ianbremmer. Uh, thank you so much, Ian. Appreciate it. Always good to be with you, Glenn. Happy New Year. Bye bye. I'd love to have him. Uh, I'd love to have him back because he talks a lot about technology. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I, I've, I've wondered lately, why are we even talking about socialized medicine right now? Why are we really talking about even overhauling anything? Because medicine entirely is going to change in the next 10 years. By the time we implement all of the stuff that anybody would want to do, the the whole system is going to change. We're all going to have a like a Google doctor or an Amazon doctor. We will. And you'll have your health appointments, you won't have to go to the uh, the local health center. You'll you'll have a, a a system in your house that will be able to diagnose most things and be able to say you should go to the hospital now. And in 10 years, I believe you're going to ask your favorite doctor if it's something serious, okay, yeah, that's great. Okay, you think I have cancer, and you think I can survive. What does the AI say about it? Because this is going to be faster and better. Well,
2: and if you're right, it's really a question of what you're trying to get done. If you're right, then, and you are concerned about universal health care for reasons more about control than you are about actual health, you better get it done right now. Correct. You better get it done. Because you, this... yeah. you free up everybody. You free
0: up everybody. They don't have you'll to depend be able... on you anymore. No, you I mean, we will have AI surgeons and they will be more accurate than That's crazy. It's crazy.
2: But I mean, like it's the same thing of like if we would have said fifteen years ago, hey, you're gonna get in a bunch of strangers' cars, you're gonna go on your phone and press a button and then a stranger's car is gonna pull up and they're gonna drive you wherever you want. You'd say, that, you say that was think, insane. That would say completely <laughs> nuts. Right. And now Uber and Lyft and everything else, like it—it it does happen
0: really fast these days. You—you yeah. just—you just. I mean, it's the, all the 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 AI doctor is already here. It's already in in practice. Uh, no, I shouldn't say in practice. It's already running parallel in practice in places like New York, just for cancer. And when you have the ability to input all of the cases of cancer, eventually all over the world, it's already, I think, 15... I think it's like 75% accurate where the average doctor is maybe 55% accurate. Uh, It's catching it faster. It is the future. Even if you are one of those people that... You know, work on roofs in Phoenix in the summer, or you are a uh, construction worker or digging ditches for a living. I think you will agree with me that being a, uh, a an American political uh, scientist and a professor that believes in God and the founding of our nation, and you're you're centered in a university in Oregon, I might I might at times. Think he has a uh, a worse job than the guy on the roof in the in the middle of uh, summer in Phoenix. His name is Mark David Hall. He's a political science professor at George Fox University. His research and writing focuses on American political theory and the relationship between religion and politics. He is not uh, afraid to say. Uh, in fact, he's published a new book called "Did America Have a Christian uh, Founding?" The answer to that is
3: absolutely yes it did
0: yeah um th- how did this get so distorted over the years when did this really start to people now believe that our our founders were deists but a deist believes that there is a god but he's like a watchmaker and he built the watch set the watch and now he doesn't he doesn't care he has nothing to do with it anymore but our founders all of their fa- washington he writes about miracles. He writes about divine providence. How is, that, how is that misunderstood?
3: You know, that's a great question. I think these debates began in the 19th century, but really in the 20th century when we started getting a bunch of secular progressive academics. They just wrote book after book saying most of the founders were deists. They created a godless constitution. They wanted a wall of separation between church and state. And they just kept repeating these same lines so many times that people have come to believe it's true. So where was our founding? Was our founding in uh, Jamestown
0: or was our founding in in uh, Plymouth?
3: That's a great question. So I um, begin by looking at three different possibilities. One is the early colonial settlements. And if that's what we mean by founding, then I think indisputably we had a Christian founding. The Puritans came here, of course, to create Christian commonwealths. But even if you look to the south the, the virginia laws of 1610 say everyone must go to church blasphemy will be punished by death and so forth so i think all the early colonial settlements were very um concerned with the things of god when you move up to what we usually think about the late 18th century the war for american independence and the creation of a constitutional order there the case becomes a little more difficult. So most of my book focuses, in fact, on the late 18th century.
0: So um, where did that come from and what were we based on? What
3: were they really trying to do? Well, that's a great way of phrasing the question. Sometimes people look at this and they say, okay, what I want to do is argue that all of America's founders were good, godly, pious Christians. (laughs) I don't take that approach. First of all, we know some of them were heretics. Jefferson and Adams and Franklin departed from the the, the basic tenets of Orthodox Christianity. But then in many cases, we simply do not have the records. We might know that someone was a member of this church, maybe even that he attended church, but that really doesn't tell us much about his heart Mm -hmm. or about even his Orthodoxy. So what I look at instead is the ideas that influenced the American founders. And I argue that they were influenced by Christian ideas or ideas developed in the Christian tradition of political reflection. And they drew from these ideas when they broke from Great Britain, when they created our constitutional order, and so therefore America had a Christian founding. Do you believe in the
0: covenant? Do you believe that there was a covenant made in in Plymouth and one with Washington and and Lincoln?
3: Oh, I don't imagine how you could look at America's founding from the early colonial settlements to the late 18th century without understanding the importance of covenants. These folks all believed in the importance of covenant. A covenant, of course, is is an agreement between two parties— with God as a witness. And these folks almost solely thought in terms of covenants um, the Mayf- from the Mayflower Compact on, really, to the late right. 18th century and then into the present day. And what does that mean? What what makes that different than a contract? I think a, a contract, of course, still should be binding, but the way we treat contracts, you know, if you're yeah. a football player with a good season— um, you might throw your contract out the window and renegotiate. Right. The idea of a covenant, a, a marriage is a great example, right? Right. When you join, when a man joins with a woman, you make a promise before the eyes of God. And really this, this thing should not be ripped asunder, or at least it's a very, very serious thing. Right. Before one would even contemplate breaking that and, covenant. And so when our pilgrims
0: came, um, I, I'm fascinated. I've just found an old map um, that was uh, made by... The uh, Librarian of Congress in I think eighteen seventy or eighteen sixty five, and it was it was the roots of Jamestown that brought slavery and uh, brought um, corruption and um, and division, and the Pilgrims founding, and that tree gave us you know, uh, humility and honor, et cetera, et cetera. And it's my understanding that they were arguing back and forth before the Civil War, which which one are we? And I think we're having that same argument now, aren't we?
3: I think there's a lot of truth in that, although I do argue and push back a little bit that I think the southern colonies were more concerned with the things of God than oftentimes 19th and 20th century historians give them credit for being. But indisputably, New England was the center of American intellectual life, our best colleges were there, Uh, many of our best leaders came from there. And I think you cannot understand America as Alexis de Tocqueville found when he came to America in the 1930s without understanding the Puritan influence, So, or more broadly the Reformed or the Calvinist influence. And the arguments that even we have
0: today were happening back then just on different topics. Theirs was slavery, but our, our founders get such a bad rap Many of our founders were religiously bound to end
3: slavery. That's exactly right. In the initial draft of this book, I addressed that briefly in the conclusion. And my publisher and I agreed to pull that section out. And I'll have a sequel to this book coming out that will have a whole chapter on the founders and slavery. And I think it's, you know, we need to be critical of our own tradition. Sure. And we can be critical of slavery, it was a horrible, unjust institution. Well, you're exactly right. Many founders were coming to recognize that it's incompatible with the basic Christian idea that all humans are created in the imago dei, the image of God. Many were already working for its abolition. Many states voluntarily abolished slavery between 1776 and 1804. The the direction was definitely heading um, towards abolitionism. Unfortunately, Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin and gave slavery a lease on life. So um, if the founders
0: could come back I've always believed that the founders would come back and they would say, huh, so how long did the Constitution last? Because I I don't think they'd recognize us now at all. Do you think that they would be
3: uh, – uh, how would they react today? They would be absolutely flabbergasted. I think since the 1930s, uh, of course, the um, Congress and the Supreme Court have, have a lot of federalism to be tossed out the window. The national government can pretty much do anything it wants – I think literally all the founders, with the possible exception of Alexander Hamilton and James Wilson, would say this is insane. You are giving far too much power to the national government. We must rein things in, things like education and the punishing of crimes and the promotion of virtue. These things belong at the state level or the local level. The national government should have nothing to do with these things. Do you see us turning around? As a historian, what's it going to take to turn us around? You know, I tend to be an optimist, and I'm not very happy with the direction we've been heading since the 1930s, but but I'm hopeful. And one of the things I do in this book is I say that we need to look at the basic principles that motivated America's founders, and this should encourage us to return, maybe slowly. I'm a Burkean conservative, so I would say we don't want to overturn things uh, tomorrow, but slowly and surely we should start uh, turning things back to the states. And then, of course, even more importantly, Americans should turn back to God. And I, I think that's where our real hope lies. Do we make it without that? Could we become Europe and still be America? You know, that is an excellent question. I, I think America's constitutional order does assume, for instance, that humans are sinful. And so we have important checks on power, including power checks that remain today. And so um, it, it's an open question in my mind. But for sure, America's founders embraced the syllogism that if you're to have a Republican form of government, you must have a moral people. And if you are to have a moral people, you must have a religious people. And by religion, they all meant Christianity. There's no question about that historically. Uh, Mark David Hall, (laughs) good luck uh, surviving uh,
0: Oregon. Uh, Mark David Hall, the author of a, a new book that everyone should have in their library, Did America Have a Christian Founding? It is answered. Uh, It's a legitimate question and answered by Mark David Hall. You can find him at his website at markdavidhall.org. Again, the name of the book, Did America Have a Christian Founding? Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Welcome to the program. Hey, I want to let you know that we are restoring the covenant that we were just talking about in Gettysburg, July 4th. Now, this is going to be a July 4th that you won't forget. Your kids won't forget. going to be very, very different. Um, I'm designing the uh, music and the uh, fireworks uh, myself, I'm working with a composer now. I mean, it's it's going to be really amazing. Not your typical American 4th of July um uh, but it's going to have all the fireworks that you could possibly want and and uh and just a great crowd and food and everything else. So just join us in Gettysburg July 4th. Now I urge you to go to glenbeck.com/restore uh and sign up so we know you you're there so your space is reserved because there's only I think about 30,000 that are able to go this this time around. It is a free event. However, it's a three-day event if you want, and you can buy tickets to the different things. We can help you out with your hotels or your RV, or if you want to camp and put a tent up, we can help you through all of it. Just go to glenbeckcom slash restore. But let's start a new tradition of yeah. 4th of July. It's going be a really cool event. Really cool. And I know you with 4th of July, and
2: you designing fireworks. I can't even imagine... It's going to be great. It is going to be great. It's going this to is, be great. It's going to be very cool. Yeah. Uh, a couple uh, breaking stories here as we yeah. uh, uh, talk. Uh, CBS Newsweek, a few other sources are reporting that the U.S. is now confident that Iran shot down the Ukrainian jetliner in the hours after the um, the missile strike uh, and 176 people were killed, yeah. including 63 Canadians, by the way. Mm. Pretty significant yeah. uh, uh, percentage there. Um, <clears throat> so they are now. They now. I mean, that, it seemed to me to be the most logical explanation, yeah. honestly. And now U.S. officials believe that that was uh, is actually what happened.
0: And, and I, they, I, by mistake, they think it's by mistake. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah. Of course it was. I mean, here's this Ukrainian airliner that goes out. It's ten miles or ten minutes, eight minutes away from the airport. It's leaving the airport. And you see the videos now where it's on fire, and then it just blows up uh and uh and and crashes, and everybody dies it's mm. It's horrible now I'm going to give the Iraqis the benefit of the doubt they should be held responsible should make Iranians they should make, mm. they should make reparations et cetera et etc but it's in the fog of war now nobody would give us that doubt if we had missiles flying in at us, and there was a there was a jetliner that was coming our way, and in the fog of war, somebody's like, I, I don't know what that is. It's, it's not on the radio. It's close, 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 close. Launch. That's probably what happened. And that kind of stuff does happen, and it's horrible. Somewhat of a test for um, Canada's
2: blackface-wearing prime minister, who's now going to have to deal, figure out what to do in this situation.
0: Now, why do you bring up the, fa- the fact that he was oh, I-
2: blackface uh you know, I'm fascinated by Oliver Peck, mm-hmm. who was apparently on Ink Master, a judge for 13 seasons. He's leaving now because he's had a blackface scandal. Oh no! Uh, after 13 years, uh, pictures surfaced surfaced from like his old MySpace account, apparently. Which when is a, did that close down? Like, I
3: 2009. And they had. I thought
2: everything got wiped out from that page. I thought so too. Somehow it resurfaced. And there are pictures of him, like, dressed as maybe like a Lakers basketball player in blackface, apparently a superhero of some sort in blackface. That's Uh, not black. That's
0: not the same as black.
2: (laughs) A couple different Halloween (sighs) costumes was basically the the, uh, explanation. And I was was fascinated by, you know, because this is what you do when you're writing stories. You just include a bunch of tweets from random people who have opinions on it. But listen to this tweet. How dumb and racist can people be? Uh, let's find out. Ink Master star Oliver Peck is learning the same lesson Justin Trudeau learned about blackface. Why is Oliver Peck going to be Prime Minister of Canada too? Does he get reelected? Is that what happens? Because that's what they—that's the lesson they've learned. If you're if you're liberal enough, if you're democratic enough, if you're progressive enough, you can become Prime Minister of of uh, Canada and then get reelected, or you can become Governor of uh, Virginia. That's all fine, totally no problem fine. at all. You keep that job
0: without any issues. Yeah. So the only thing that peck has learned from this is i gotta be progressive and, m- and if i'm really really progressive i'll skate by
2: i'll ask jimmy kimmel he's no he's no politician but he's progressive enough to get away with dressing the exact same way in a lakers uniform except on national television
0: in blackface <laughs> that was totally fine now i don't know about you what company was he working for
2: uh that they were on Xmaster what see, what is that Paramount Network
0: fascinating uh because Paramount I know America is like hey I want my tattoo artist to be you know somebody that is above reproach cuz that's what you think of when you think of tattoo <laughs> right. artists mm-hmm. and so above reproach that they can't even make themselves into a superhero a super a black superhero no that's this is this is insane the double standard You're listening to-